Welcome to the Library Service Safety and Security Podcast with Dr. Steve Albrecht. I am the very same Dr. Steve Albrecht, and this podcast is sponsored by Library 2.0 and produced by the founder of Library 2.0, Steve Hargadon. You can always get more information at library20.com. So my topic for this half hour is something that's come up a lot in uh, emails and and, um, messages to me. And you can get hold of me at askdrsteve at library20.com about course and scope of employment. And there are some library people who have written to me, both managers and supervisors and leaders and also mostly employees, that say, am I working outside the course and scope of employment? Am I doing things beyond my job description and job duties? Am I being compensated fairly and legally? Am I working correctly in my job description for what I'm doing at the library? So I want to look at some of the issues here and kind of talk about some of the possibilities, both from a management side and an employee side, but also know first that I'm not a lawyer or a labor law attorney, and so this is not legal advice, but it is good HR advice. And if you have an HR representative, manager, supervisor, or director in your library system, you can also get information from that person as well about some of the things that we're talking about. So a couple perspectives here. One is that we want, as managers, supervisors, and leaders, to get the best work possible and create the best working environment for our employees. And the second is we want to be fair in how we treat them based on the HR part of it, which is are they being properly paid and labeled within their job descriptions and job duties as doing things which are within called the course and scope of employment. This concept is is fluid from an HR perspective, meaning that not every single thing has to be defined in the job descriptions and job duties, but it makes sense to have very well thought out job descriptions and job duties, especially in the hiring process or the interviewing process and in the posted um, um, information for a particular job so that people know exactly what they're getting into. From an employee perspective, we want to make sure that we're being paid for our time and it's not fair or legal to work off the books or off the clock. And sometimes we see any situations where employees are doing things like volunteering or staying after hours at the library or coming in early without being compensated. And while this is admirable, it's also illegal. And employers are not allowed to do these things because A, it's not fair to the employee. Even if the employee says, well, it's no big deal, actually it is a big deal. And the second thing is it's not legal to have people work without compensation. And the third issue, which sometimes comes up where this is a chronic concern, is that employers get sued, especially in a class action lawsuit type thing, as we've seen happen in in large employers around the country, for not following wage and hour guidelines and wage and hour legal guidelines effectively, meaning that there's a large number of people working off the books, off the clock, or working out of, out of course and scope, or working out what is called outside of class, which sometimes they're doing supervisory work without being paid to be a supervisor. Now, you can do that for a short period of time. We have situations where employees take over for a brief span of time for an, a boss which is on vacation or something like that. But if it's for a substantial amount of time, most uh, states will require that this person is paid for supervisory work if they are doing supervisory work, even though that's not their current job level. So we want to make sure that it's fair for employees to do what is expected of them. We want to make sure that that supervisors and managers know this. So let's talk about some of the concepts connected to this idea of course and scope of employment. One of the first things to think about for this concept is the definition, and maybe you know this, maybe you don't. Some people are familiar with it, some people are not, of the concept of the exempt employee versus the non-exempt employee. 
And put simply, an exempt employee is not eligible for overtime and a non-exempt employee is eligible for overtime. So typically, managers, supervisors, somebody who's a person in charge or someone who's in a responsible uh, leadership supervisory position over other employees is expected to be paid a salary and not expected to be paid at a, at a, a hourly rate where they get overtime when they work overtime hours. Meaning if you're a manager or supervisor and you, they ask you to come in on the weekend, you come in on the weekend. Now, sometimes you adjust your, your, your time, your hours. Uh, you take comp time or vacation time or something like that. But the difference in exempt versus non-exempt, if you're a non-exempt employee, that's typically an hourly employee, those folks get paid overtime when they work past a certain span of time. And in most, most uh, parts of this country, it's eight-hour day or a 40-hour week. So you hear concepts like time and a half or double time, meaning I'm working beyond the eight-hour span of time or the 40-hour span of time that I have. So as a non-exempt employee, you are eligible for overtime. If you're a manager, supervisor, leadership position, and you work on a salary basis only, we adjust your pay and compensation based on other things besides overtime. So that part of being uh, exempt or non-exempt is the first part of our conversation. So another piece of this conversation is the difference, and I guess it's a semantic difference, between job duties and job descriptions. Uh, both of these things are useful when we're creating a job or we're updating a job or we're getting ready to post it online or in other places for people to be able to apply for that job. Job duties and job descriptions tell people exactly, within reason of course, not every single detail, but within reason what is expected of them to pick their job. And you may see things in the job duties and job descriptions, and, and I use the phrase kind of synonymously even though maybe some people do not where it says you have to lift 50 pounds or you need to be able to drive a, um, a commercial motor vehicle because you have a truck driver's license or you have to have a, a certain certification like software or something like that. There may be very specific language within job duties and job descriptions which spell out things like working outdoors or working with heavy equipment or working in all kinds of weather, things like that which are really quite detailed. And you can see some job descriptions where they cover in several pages a lot of things that this job is typically um, destined for in terms of moving, lifting, standing, waiting, walking, talking, sitting, whatever it happens to be, where we cover some of the ergonomic issues as well. So when we look at the job duties and job descriptions, it's one way as an applicant to say, is this a, 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 a place where I want to work? B, are these the types of duties and activities that I can do? And as an employee, when you look at these things, you say, am I being paid to do these particular things? Am I being asked to do things that are outside the course and scope of employment? And that is a big legal issue, which we'll talk about. Working outside the course and scope of employment, let's use an example, kind of a goofy one, but it's still a good example. Let's say that you're working at the library and your boss says, hey, um, I know you got a couple uh, uh, free, uh, free hours today, nothing really going on. Can you go to the house and, and can you wax my car? Can you wash and wax my car? Now, you might, uh, uh, being friends with the library director, say, well, okay, uh, uh, if I'm being paid to do this, I'll, I'll go and wash and wax their car. But of course, I'm being ridiculous. Nobody would answer to that and say, yes, that's what I want to go do. But we get lots of situations where people are asked to do things outside the course and scope of their employment. Sometimes it makes them uncomfortable. Sometimes it's what's asked, uh, they're asked to do is not legal. Sometimes what they're asked to do is way outside their skill set or, or what they're supposed to be doing, what they're being paid for. So where supervisors, managers, and leaders can get into problems is if they start to to look at what the employee does and make certain allowances and say, well, uh, you know, I asked the employee to go on, on company time, on library time to go pick up my dry cleaning. What's the big deal? Those things are wrong. And that's not what you should be doing. So 
The other side of that coin is that sometimes employees can be too sensitive and say, well, my boss asked me to do something and it's not in my job description, so I'm not going to do it or I'm going to do it under protest. And then you look at the job description and it's fairly well captured there. It's fairly well described there. And what they're doing is just is sort of splitting hairs. And I'll give you an example for that. I did a coaching situation with a county in California where the employee in question was having a lot of problems with his boss and, and attitude issues and attendance issues and arguing with, with coworkers and just being rude and not the greatest guy they've ever hired. Well, things really came to a point where, and he was a, what's uh, in the IT department called a network specialist, and at least that was his job description and his job duties, network specialist. So things came to a head where he was asked to go to a brand new building that the county had, had just built and was opening and that all the wiring was going into place and it had already been built and the, you know, the construction was done. They were just doing some of the finishing touches, including installing phone lines and installing uh, computer equipment and setting up server rooms and things like that. So they came to this employee, their bo the boss did, and said, can you plug in some of these phones and test them? Can you take these phone, hardline phones, an actual phone you know, device, to this desk, plug it into the phone jack, and test and see whether they have a dial tone? There's probably either 30 or 40 of these to do inside this building. And he said no. And the boss was like, what are you talking to me? He says, I'm a network specialist. I don't plug in phones. And the boss said, I'm not asking, not asking you to pull wire or climb on the roof or, or you know, climb up between the drop ceilings and, and, and check the cable connections. I'm just saying, can you test these phones? Can you make sure we have a dial tone for these phones? And he said no. And so that turned into a big argument as to whether or not he, he was working outside his course and scope of employment. Obviously, the supervisors and managers and leaders for that department thought he was not. And a, a careful reading of his job description also included things like checking phone systems and things like that. So he was clearly making a mountain out of a molehill for a situation where he did not have a leg to stand on. So my coaching conversation with him was like, you know, what's the big deal? This is in your job description. It may not be your favorite thing to do, but, you know, they're not asking you to go outside and shovel 10 feet of snow. They just want you to plug in the phone lines and test them, make sure they work. But he refused. And so you can imagine that after uh, several years of these types of situations with this employee, he did not last through the rest of the experience. So when we look at um, issues around course and scope, one of the things that comes into play is a definite concern about wage and hour issues. And so, uh, you know, I see situations where employees come in early or stay late or work uh, without work taking their breaks or their lunch and things like that, and they don't document this on their time card. And so what happens is there's a couple things. One, you get a sense of resentment that you're sometimes working for free. Two, your employer may use that flexibility and voluntary, volunteerism, is that a word, volunteerism, uh, your ability to volunteer and kind of take advantage of you for that. And so the issue there is keep careful track of your time card. Keep careful track, if it's electronic or whatever it happens to be, keep careful track of the hours that you work and so that you are compensated and paid based on what you do. And one of the things that, that as an employee you may have to start to get the habit of is checking your paycheck with your time card. And so this is sort of like in the world that we live in now that most people don't balance their checkbooks. Most people, if they get a hard copy statement from their bank, like I do because I'm old, uh, don't bother to look necessarily and reconcile their checkbook with the, what the bank statement says. They may give it a cursory look to see if there's any weird charges or anything like that or fees on there, but a lot of people don't sit down and reconcile those two things. I'm saying as an employee, it makes good sense to, to at least look at your paycheck and look at your time card and make sure those two things line up every single pay period so that you're being compensated fairly for the things that you are doing for the organization. 
one of the ways that employees sort of justify in their own minds working too early or too late, staying late, that time coming in earlier or staying late, one of the reasons they, they can justify that is they say, well, everything works out in the wash. It'll all come out e- evenly later on, or I'll, I'll take an extra day here or there. Again, we're in some dicey territory here. From an HR perspective, your human resources and your payroll folks would not want you to do that. So if you say, well, you know, I came in early five straight days, which means, you know, I can stay, I can leave early for five days after that, that's not the right approach for them. And so we tell supervisors and managers and employees to say, look, come in when you need to come in and get compensated for it, go on the clock, leave when you're supposed to leave, take your your breaks and lunches, leave at an appropriate time, unless you're working overtime, which you know you're gonna work overtime, and that's been been discussed. But don't try to keep track in your head as to, well, you know, they owe me an hour, they owe me a day, they owe owe me, you know, 15 minutes, that type of thing. That's the wrong approach. We want structure, we want a sense of, of accountability for both the organization and the employee to follow the time card guidelines so that you're not working, A, beyond what you're supposed to, B, for free, and, and then we'll get into this conversation of working outside course and scope of employment. What I have seen in my career is that those, and this is the paradox, those employees who oftentimes work for free or come in and work on the weekends without uh, compensation or come in early or stay late, uh, later on are the ones that are talked into suing the organization by some attorney or by a group of employees who have done the same thing as well. We don't want to get into those situations where you're working for free. We also don't want your organization to exploit you and we don't want the organization to be in a situation where they are not they're not aware of things that you're doing which are not compensated time, meaning clock in, do your work, clock out, take your breaks and lunches, make sure that when you're working overtime it has been verified by your supervisor as well. So let's look at, at this idea of course and scope of employment a little bit deeper and this idea of out of course and scope of employment. When you look at, at the concept of outside the course and scope of employment, there's a phrase that comes up all the time. It's in the legal world. It's a phrase you see in, in, in legal doctrines and guidelines and policies and laws and things like that. It's the word reasonable. Was this organization's HR policies reasonable with this employee? And if we look at course and scope and we look at job descriptions and job duties, are the things you're being asked to do in the library, are they reasonable? Did they say, you know, we want you to scratch the Lord's Prayer on the head of a pin every single day? Uh, do we expect you to climb on the ceiling and, and you know, scrub the roof, roof joists? And those things are not reasonable for what you're, you're doing. If you look at your job descriptions, your job duties, is what's in there, is it reasonable? Now, here's something that organizations should be doing, which is a class study, a job class study. And that's oftentimes done by HR specialists, HR consultants, people that have that background. They will come in and they will look at all the jobs and all the job descriptions and job duties and say, are we being reasonable in what we are asking these employees to do? I'll give you an example. In days of old, in my, my early times in the pre-internet internet era, you uh, used to be able to have to prove how fast you could type certain positions you would need to be able to type 60 words a minute and you would take sometimes a typing test or you'd go to a typing test center and you would get a score on your typing test which you take to an employer and say I can type 60 words or 70 or 50 or whatever it happens to be for that particular job. Well, I have, and I could be wrong, but I have seen a uh, few job descriptions these days, unless maybe you're a police dispatcher or, or some other situation, data processing type of a deal, where you need to prove your typing skills proficiency. So we look at job descriptions and job duties and say, what can we take out or eliminate or remove 
because it's not fair or legal or it could be biased or it could be uh, prejudicial uh, in certain job descriptions and job duties. Like you say, you know, for a firefighter, uh, is it necessary that you lift 300 pounds over the top of your head, which would discriminate against women and people of smaller stature, statue, or could you say the job duties and descriptions of a firefighter include moving this amount of equipment, being able to move ladders and hoses and, and things like that, which is more fair and equitable? So the phrase we're always looking for is, is the job des description and job duties, are the tasks inside there, are they reasonable? If you look at your own job duties and job description and you say this thing hasn't been updated in five or ten years, that's a problem. If you're a manager or supervisor and you say, we need to have a thorough review of our job duties and job descriptions by an HR professional, and that's not something I do, so this is not a commercial for that, um, but you can find a qualified HR representative if you're own, either your own HR department or an outside consultant who does these types of classification, job classification studies. Those things are very useful because it says, let us fine-tune and pinpoint and really focus the job duties and job descriptions on what it's like to be an employee in this day and age. What are the things necessary to work in a library that may be very useful for our organization? And what things do we need to remove because it's just not viable anymore, not possible, not necessary, not needed. So that, that job classification study is really important to get us to the area where we're looking at things from a legal perspective, from a fairness perspective, and making it possible for applicants and people that are promoting into those particular positions to look and say, I know what is expected of me. So let's say that you want to go for the pick job or you want to go for another uh, promotional uh, assignment inside the organization. You can look, and it should be posted in your, in, on your intranet or certainly available through HR or the HR process in your library. You can look at the job descriptions and job duties and you say, I'm qualified to do these things. I'm not qualified. I do have these certifications or educational net, uh, requirements that they need here or I don't. And so you can look at those things and say, Based on this job duties and job descriptions, I can either aspire to this job after a little bit of training and certification and some education on my part, or I can learn it as I go forward or already have those skills, skills going into the interview. So I always look at the job duties and job descriptions as a really two-way street for the employer and the employee to say, are we in sync? Are we making sense for what I'm asking you to do as an employer and what you can do for this organization as an employee? And are we protecting your rights in terms of reasonableness? In this day and age, you shouldn't have to be able to type 65 words a minute if it's not a requirement for this particular job. So you say, when you look at the job duties and job descriptions, is it a, a legal document? It is, it's also a historical document. It says going forward, and from the moment that I've hired into this position or promoted in this position, this is something I'm going to be held accountable for, especially for my job performance when it comes to performance evaluation and, and looking at my annual, semi-annual, whenever it happens to be a conversation with my boss about what I'm doing. Because good supervisors will match your performance evaluation to your job duties and job descriptions. And that's not the only thing, certainly, but it's a big part of what are you doing with uh, your job with we're asking you to do based on the job as it is defined on paper. So I said in part of our discussion here that sometimes you can be put into a situation or a position where you're an acting supervisor or, or your boss is out of town or on vacation and for a span of time you're the acting pick or you're the acting department head or you're the acting supervisor, the acting manager, whatever it happens to be, even though that's not your job duties and descriptions. Now, 
it depends state by state and even county by county and in, in MOUs and, and union relationships and things like that. But for the most part, you are not always um, um, entitled to out-of-class pay, meaning promotional pay for the work that you're doing, if it's a short period of time. Now, if the organization comes to you and says, one of our managers or supervisors is going on maternity leave or taking a leave of absence, and we're going to move you into this position for one year while this person is out on sabbatical, leave of absence, pregnancy, whatever it happens to be, um, we will will compensate you for this um, um, temporary position, this temporary supervisory position. We will compensate you at the same rate of pay as the other person. That's fair. That's legal. So uh, as far as I know, in most situations, if you are using um, uh, or you're getting temporary experience as a supervisor, your boss says, while I'm on vacation, I want you to take my job. Um, I'll be back in five days, whatever happens to be. Or while um, we're hiring for this other position, uh, we're going to hire a permanent candidate for this position. I'd like you to be in the acting supervisor, acting manager, acting department head role, whatever it happens to be. In that time span, there has to be a negotiated agreement as to whether or not you're compensated at the higher rate. And I'm not sure what the time span is, but usually, you know, several weeks does not qualify, but certainly a year would. So if you look to say, I want to move into a supervisory position and and my boss has created a mentorship process where he or she is putting me into supervisory experiences, supervisory roles. I'm, I'm taking on um, um, the supervision of people. I'm taking on the supervision of projects. I'm representing the library in public meetings and things like that. That may be part of a temporary uh, movement to get you the experience and the and the exposure to those types of leadership positions, which is not necessarily a compensatable thing. So a long span of time, it should be. Short span of time, it's just basically um, what you do to grow into the position. I hope that makes sense for you. So let's talk about something that comes up a lot, especially in lawsuits, and I've seen it in civil litigation, which is you are asked to do certain things which are outside the course and scope of your employment, and it seems handy or convenient for you to do those for the organization. So you say, well, um, you know, I'm not a clerical person, but, but um, uh, the woman that buys or the man that buys office supplies for our library is, is uh, sick or out of town or off that this week. And so my boss says, hey, can you take your personal car over to Office Depot or, or Staples or something like that and load up and buy a bunch of office supplies and, and bring, it, bring it back? Would that be out of course and scope of employment? It kind of depends. But the biggest issue I see is sometimes people say, well, you know, I took my own car and I got in a car accident on the way over there or the way back and a car accident with injuries, either I got injured or somebody else did or both of us, that's when it turns into a lawsuit because you say, were you actually performing on behalf of the organization? And you would say, yes, my boss sent me to the office of buy place. And then, of course, the organization would say, well, you know, we asked you to do that on your break or on your lunch hour and so it doesn't really qualify. These things are qu quite complex. So I think it's really important for people to kind of stay in their lane. And so we say to a maintenance a supervisor or maintenance employee, take the city or county or library truck or car over to Home Depot or Lowe's or a hardware store and buy the equipment that you need or buy the tools and supplies you need for this project. You are on company time. You're on agency time. You're doing what you're supposed to do. It's part of the course and scope of your employment. That's fine. When we get into personal errands, when we get into things where you're doing something as a favor for your boss, when we get into an issue where, where you are doing things which you perceive to be on company time, but again, your organization says, well, you're on your break, you're on your lunch, that's where we have problems. So I, I would say, you know, if you're asked to do things which take you outside the library, you clearly delineate, okay, I'm on the job and I'm going to pick up 
something for the library to continue the business of the library. And it's clear that I'm not doing this on my break. I'm not doing this on my lunch. Um, I'll give an example where I, I've seen this a lot is where, and, and this is really a, a tragedy sometimes, where a clerical employee, secretary, administrator, person like that, will be asked to take the bank deposit to the bank. And being a security guy, I've seen a number of incidents where this person gets mugged or carjacked or attacked, you know, standing in front of the bank deposit uh, box area where they have a key they can open it up and put in the on the bag. And so, you know, my argument, of course, is, is, is this within the course and scope of your employment to take thousands of dollars to the bank and drop it off on behalf of the organization? And I would say the answer is no. Uh, you know, if you ask me as a security guy, I would say, let's get an armored car service to pick up the money. So we get into situations where people are doing things as a, quote, favor for their boss. They do things which are, quote, off-duty, which are actually on-duty. Um, they do things on the way home, uh, things like that, where there's a, an incident or an accident. It can get really dicey as to whether or not you're within the course and scope of your employment and whether or not you should have been using your personal vehicle as opposed to a library vehicle, things like that. So. I'm not saying say no to your boss. What I'm saying is discuss those situations where you are asked to leave the facility and do something on behalf of the organization so that everyone's clear that you're doing this as part of your job, you're doing this as part of on-duty time, you're doing this as part of compensatable time. You know, in my preference, you would be taking a library vehicle rather than your own vehicle to those particular um, um, things that you're, you're doing out in the field or out in, in, in the town. One of the challenges we see of all this discussion about course and scope of employment and, and wage and hour violations and job duties and job descriptions is things really vary when it comes to your union rules. Uh, the MOUs or memos of understanding that you have with your organization could be vastly different city to city, county to county, library to library. So what we have negotiated as an employee association, what you have negotiated if you're part of a larger employer's union, is, is different place to place and, and location to location and, and job to job. So when we look at what you do as part of your job duties and job descriptions and you're in a union environment, you're in a, an association or union, something like that, those descriptions and job duties have typically, if everybody's on their toes and doing things as they should, those things have been vetted and, and, and looked at carefully to say, is this fair for our employees? Is it reasonable what we're asking these people to do? Are these job duties and job descriptions in line with what a reasonable organization would do in this, in this time and date? meaning that those things are not antiquated, they're not out of date, they're not uh, highly unreasonable based on the world that we're living in now. So it's really important, as, especially as a union employee, to say, am I following, or am I hope to follow, the union rules and the MOUs that are, are given to me as a, as a member of this association? So we have a conversation with, a, if you have a shop steward or an association steward or something like that who pays attention to these issues to make sure that, that both sides, union and uh, uh, the employer side, are in, in a cooperation as to what the job duties and job descriptions are as it pertains to all employees who work in that particular job. So let's, let's kind of go the other side of the coin here and look at things from an employer's perspective. None of the things that I've talked about here should prevent you as a supervisor, manager, leader, director, from feeling comfortable about asking employees to do work on your behalf. 
as long as it's reasonable, as long as it's within the course and scope of their employment, as long as it's not happening after hours, as long as it's not happening in a, you know, run personal errands, uh, appro- you know, inappropriate way for me type of a thing. You can put employees into new challenges. Um, you can do things uh, within reason like job rotation. You can give them new duties and assignments. You can give them training. You can send them to training. You can add additional reasonable responsibilities and job tasks onto their current collection, as long as you're not overloading them with work, as long as you're not being unfair, as long as you're not giving one employee more overtime and not for another, as long as you're not um, uh, creating a situation where you're playing favorites or teacher's pet, you can put employees into new positions of responsibility and accountability by giving them tasks and jobs and things which are not necessarily carved in stone into the job descriptions and job duties. The reason for that is because unless you want the job descriptions and job duties to be 150 pages, we can't account for every single thing. As long as we're being fair and reasonable, we're not discriminating, we're not retaliating, we're not denying employees certain things that other employees get, we're not playing favorites, then we can put employees into situations where they are given a chance to shine, a chance to lead, a chance to run uh, new projects which are within their kind of strength, uh, which are within uh, something that they want to do, especially for those employees who have promotional thoughts going forward, say this may be something that that you are eligible for a promotion, but perhaps not this go around, but next year. And so in between now and next year, what are the skills and, and assignments, uh, educational uh, improvements, uh, certification improvements, things like that, which could be very useful to help you promote. Uh, we talked about this, putting an employee into a boss for a day role. And I've seen this a lot in public government. We say, you know, you're going to be in charge for the day and I'm going to shadow what you do as your supervisor. Um, I'm going to put you in a, in a, in a, um, a leadership position for this couple span of uh, a few days in the span of time. I'm going to watch you and shadow you and see you make the decisions that I have had to make and to interact with taxpayers, customers, patrons, coworkers vendors, attorneys, elected officials, whoever it happens to be, in a situation where I want to see you grow out of your comfort zone, I want to see how you think, how you respond to certain conflicts, things like that. So I may put you in a situation where I want you to represent the library in a public forum. I may put you in a situation where I want you to engage with electeds or appointed officials or the uh, agency attorneys, things like that, library boards, friends of the library, in my stead. And I may watch you from a distance and, and give you some coaching and feedback later on, but I want you to be me for a day. And that's not working outside the course and scope of employment. That's helping employees develop, especially when we talk about things that are important like mentorship and succession planning. So I hope that makes sense for you. I hope I've given you some food for thought as a manager, leader, supervisor, someone who is thinking about how you grow and develop your employees. What are your boundaries and limitations as, as opposed to what are the things that you're able to do to help these folks grow into their positions, to grow into new positions of responsibility, of, of continued growing skills, of adding new things to their training toolkit and, and making it possible if they want to, to promote or to move to the next level in the organization. If you're an employee, think about uh, the fairness of how you are treated by your library and making sure that you can have a careful conversation with your supervisor and or HR about working within the course and scope of your employment, within the course and scope of your job duties, making sure that you're not being put into situations that involve unpaid or uncompensated time, uh, that you are being paid overtime when it's required, that you're not being put into situations where you're doing things outside the library um, that that are kind of fuzzy in terms of who is responsible for your time and, and compensation and safety in those particular situations. So uh, this is a good 
food for thought conversation that you can have with yourself about are you working within the course and scope of your employment? As you look at the job duties and job descriptions, are there any that you may want to change uh, or ask your supervisor to change or to modify or improve upon or delete because they don't make sense now without having to wait for a job classification study? And are there situations as a leader, supervisor, manager where you can take a look at all of the people that work for you and their job duties and job descriptions and say, do we need a few touch-ups here or do we need a complete rewrite of some of the things that, that are these job duties and job descriptions because it hasn't been done for a while, in which case we may need to do a job classification survey. So thanks for your time and, and the consideration. My thanks to the producer of the Library Service Safety and Security podcast, Steve Argadon from Library 2.0. For more information, visit the Library 2.0 website at library20.com. You can always reach me at askdrsteve at library2.0.com. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Library Service Safety and Security podcast.